Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks for joining us here on this November 5th. Uh, and uh, we are glad you're with us. We've already moved into to a wintry-like uh, state here at times this week. And 20 degrees or less, uh, uh, some even uh, this week. Uh, hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you are. Um, and uh, glad that you tuned in and, and decided to join us this morning. A few announcements as we begin today. One is... It's already that season, Christmas shoe boxes. So we're filling up boxes for kids all around the world um, to have a good Christmas. And so if you would like to take a box in the back of our church, and a, there's a label that says boy or girl and what age, fill it with a whole bunch of gifts inside and bring it back to us by November 15th because then we send it off to uh, Samaritan's Purse, the organization that does it, and they mail it all around the world to be there by Christmas. So these are, you got 10 days to get these into us, and we hope that, that you do. We also have uh, for you uh, some quilts. We have a quilt auction going right now of about 20 or so quilts that are a Bethlehem Quilters group that meets on Mondays has done beautiful quilts, all different kinds. Um, it's online. Uh, you can find it on our Facebook page or our website, the link, and you have to bid on them this week. And then by next Sunday, they have the uh, conclusions of who won that quilt. And then you send in your money <clears throat> and they send you the quilt. And we can mail them to you. And so it's no problem. And so if you would like to put in an order there or put in a bid down on a quilt, all the money goes to many different charitable and mission projects around Lincoln and globally uh, that these wonderful women have uh, been connected to for years. We have a new members class tonight for those interested in joining our church. Come on out to my house and Carrie's at 7 o'clock tonight. Learn more about the church and the covenant beliefs and all that. And then in two weeks, we have our Thanksgiving service at the church, 7 o'clock in the evening on a Sunday night, November 19th, where we're going to have a few different people from our church share testimonies of things that they've uh, been thankful for about God and his goodness over the year. And then we have some music, we have some communion, and we have pie and coffee together. So come on out and join us two weeks from tonight as we celebrate all that we have to be thankful for. God has given us many wonderful things. Well, all right, if we're going to get right into that message now, if you want to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we are in a current, uh, we're currently in a sermon series on the people of God, and uh, we've looked at many different scriptures in Acts, and um, we're also going to look at a few chapters here in the letters to remind us of who we are as the people of God, and what our mission is, and how we should look upon the world and all of that. And so today, Romans 8, one of the most important uh, chapters in the New Testament, I think, and uh, we'll uh, learn a little bit why. I'm going to read it for us. It's a little bit longer, but uh, uh, it's okay. This is a good, good word for us today. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might now be fully met in us, 
who do not live according to the flesh, but the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. For the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can't please God. You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, but the realm of the Spirit, if that Spirit lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you, (laughs) then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we got an obligation. It's not to the flesh to live according to it, but if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you're going to live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit who received you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, that one day we're going to share in his glory. So I consider our present suffering not even worth comparing to the glory that one day is going to be revealed in us. For all a creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning just like in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first roots of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemptions of these bodies. For in the hopes we are saved. But hope is seen, hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then should we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can stand against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? For it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? 
No, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long, considered sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of this, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither the present or the future, nor any power, high or low, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Great chapter. Verse 37 there said that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. That word Paul uses here for conquerors is the Greek word nikeo, which is where we get Nike, the swoosh. Nike is a Greek word that means conqueror. And in this verse, Paul actually adds hyper to it, another Greek word at the beginning, which means more. And so if we could all read Greek and see the original letter that Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, it would read hyper nikeo, more than conquerors. Another word for conqueror is the word overcomer. That's what you are. In other words, we're not just winners, but the score is 70 to nothing. (laughs) We have God on our side. He loves us and he is with us right now. We got the Holy Spirit in us. The Lord is on our team and helping us fight our battles. We have hope in our heart today. We got a future that has already been secured. Not even death can destroy that. We are the overcomers, he is saying. This was a needed message for that time when Paul is writing it. For in that time, Paul was writing to the early church and Rome was this huge and powerful superpower in the world and very destructive and threatening. And the church was this small group of people. What difference could they possibly make and how could they stand up to this giant? I mean, it's very much like the story of David and Goliath. It seemed like all the powers of hell were rising up against the people of God. But just like in the story of David and Goliath, when it looked like all hope was lost and the Israelite army was cowarding in the trenches, afraid of the giant before them, letting fear win, one small boy shows up to the battle ready for a fight. David, small in size, but mighty in faith. And he was the younger brother, just a boy among men, a shepherd before kings. He was a boy in size, but a giant in faith. He believed in God and and how God would go with him and help him fight his battles. And he was more than a conqueror before he even showed up that day. He had already won up here. With his brothers telling him to go home with the king believing that he couldn't do it. With a giant mocking and threatening him as he walked forward. David held the faith. He believed in the Lord. And he spoke to Goliath and he said, You come before me with sword and shield, but I stand before you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And then David, it says, ran towards the giant. And we know the story. One stone is all it took. I ask you, is this how you look at your life and your challenges? Your struggles? Are you hiding out in the trenches forgetting who you are? Forgetting the God who goes with you? Or are you racing into battle? Paul is reminding the early church, they're David in the story. 
Actually, Jesus is David in the story, and they're the ones who benefit from his victory. They're more than conquerors through him who loves us. Paul is reminding that early church, they're on the winning team. Hold your head up. They have the gift of salvation. They have the power of the Holy Spirit in them. They have the victory already because Christ died and rose again. They're not alone. They're no longer condemned. They're forgiven now. They're children of the Heavenly Father and there is nothing in all of the world that could separate them from His love and purposes. They've got the eternal hope and future and forever in Christ. They are hyper conquerors through him who loves them. I ask, is this how you look upon your life and your circumstances? With this kind of hope and faith and confidence in Christ? After studying this chapter this week, I really did want to go out and buy a pair of Nikes and write Romans 8.37 on them so that as I put on my shoes every day to face that day and head off to work and pray for people and turn on the news and oh my goodness, I would remember, no, God's word says we're the victors here. We're not the victims in the story. We've already won. We already know how everything's going to turn out in the end. And he is for us. So who can stand against? Not that we don't have our share of trials. Amen. Not that we don't get beat up at times or, or sin and fall short and struggle through things. Amen. We all do. But even in death, we got eternal life. What's this world can do to us. Paul says our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will one day be revealed. Do we think of that when we got to go through our sicknesses or grief or hard times? Do we think of the glory that is to come and help it to, to rise us above? In Christ, we've already overcome it. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world, You'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He's overcome already. So do we live like that? Do we think like that? Do we live with faith in our hearts, ready uh, for the battle, you know, that we must face, knowing that he has already won? Or do we live in fear and despair, forgetting who is seated right at the right hand of God the Father right now, looking down and watching over us, interceding for us, for our good and his glory and eternal purposes? 1 John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world, it says? Only he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So you and I, we become a conqueror the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ and all he is and all he's done. It starts in our mind. David knew the victory was his before he faced Goliath. He wasn't just practicing positive thinking. It was faith in God that he had. Faith not in his own abilities, but faith in God who had rescued the people out of Egypt and torn down the walls of Jericho and overcome the Midianites with, with Gideon and just 300 men and somebody who had personally saved him and his sheep from the lion and the bear. David knew God and knew that God would deliver the giant to him as well. His faith was in the Lord, is yours. 
I want to look at four things that Paul mentions in this chapter that Christ has overcome in our life, which convinces Paul that we're more than conquerors, the winners and not the losers in the story. The first thing here Paul says is in verse 1. He says this incredible verse. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. The first and greatest victory we have in Christ is that we are no longer condemned because of our sin, praise the Lord. We no longer have to die and go to hell forever because of our sin. We've been given a Savior and we are saved from our sins, lifted up out of that pit. Jesus did this for us when he died on a cross 2,000 years ago so that we don't have to die. He took our sin. He took our place. We've got peace with God today all because of Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5 says, he, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we have been healed. This is the first and the greatest victory we have in Christ. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His Son into the world that we now get to live through Him. This is love, He says, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The punishment for your sins has already been paid. You are debt free. In Romans 3.23, he wrote, We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 5.8, he said, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 6.23, he said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Romans 7, Paul talks openly about his own sin and how he's tried in his own power to be good enough and to be righteous before God by following that law but he admits in Romans 7 18 how there's no good in him every time he wants to do good evil is right there and the good that he knows he should do he doesn't but the evil he doesn't want to do he does he says in Romans 7 24 who's going to rescue me from this body subject to death that keeps wanting sin and his answer is Romans 7 25 thanks be to God who has delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord what we couldn't do for ourselves, the Lord did for us. That is the gospel, the good news. Paul says in Romans 8, 3, what the law was powerless to do and it was weakened by my sinful nature, God did by sending his own son as be a sin offering. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might now be fully met in us. John 3, 16 to 18, famously says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will no longer perish, but have everlasting life. It goes on to say, For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in the Son of God is condemned already. Jesus came to number one, Save you and me from our sins and the consequences of those sins. Eternal separation from God. And he accomplished that work 2,000 years ago on a cross. And you and I, all we got to do is repent of our sins and believe in him and we'll be saved. Salvation is a gift that we receive by faith 
in Christ. This is the first and greatest gift of God. And you know, all the things that we worry about in life or focus on that we think are so important, they're nothing compared to this one. We were dead in our sins until Christ gave us life. The Lord, I tell you, he cares about your marriage, the difficulties you're facing in your job or your health or even your basketball game. (laughs) But most of all, he cares about your sin. He cares about your relationship with God. And it's why he came, most of all, to restore you back to God. So you just got to admit that you're a sinner and confess your sin to him and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for those sins and rose that you might have a new life in him forever. Believe in him and you'll be saved. This is the first and greatest victory we have in Christ. Without it, nothing else matters. The second thing that makes us more than conquerors here that Paul mentions is that the Lord has given you a new mind. This is a victory we have. It is a clear head. We know the truth. The truth is one of the most important things. The Bible says that the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. The Bible calls the devil the deceiver, deceiving and leading people astray into many traps. Many people are walking in darkness today. They cannot see the truth right before their very eyes. Even the obvious truths like there's a God. I mean, all of creation reveals a creator, but a world denies it. But we know the truth. So many go through life, they don't know who they are. They don't know what life is about or what his will is or what is right or wrong. And they fall into many sufferings because of it. They do what the crowd says or what they feel. But the Bible says our hearts deceive us and our passions lead us down the path of destruction. But Romans 8, 5 tells us that there those who live by the Spirit get to have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit brings life and peace. This is one of, I think, the most amazing and victorious gifts that we got in Christ. A new mind. We know the truth. Growing up, I don't think I realized all that it meant that I was raised in a Christian home with Christian parents who took me to church and youth group and read for me the Bible and taught me the truth of God. But now I praise God every day for that foundation because I know the truth. I know him. I know who I am, what life is really all about. The word of God has been taught to me since I was little. And the older I get, I realize there is life in these verses They aren't just clever stories or encouraging thoughts. They're what's real. And these words and these pages bring peace to my anxious heart and guidance for my soul. It is worth more than all the gold. I get to know God. I see him in the creation all around me. I read his word and I see what I'm supposed to do. Like Solomon, we've been given wisdom that comes from God and he's renewed our mind, his word. I can read and know his promises and have hope suddenly in my heart. I am guided through the minefield of this world by his word, which is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It has saved me from much grief. And the more that I live in this world and see how lost it is today and how confused and how much darkness, I am thankful for the truth, for the mind of Christ that he has given us. 
Even though I can still, of course, wonder at times what God is doing or why he does certain things or why this happened, I can, of course, still ponder the mysteries and not have all the answers. But I got the core truths. And I got eyes to see what he wants me to see. And I got the word and the spirit. And because of that, I am never lost. Romans 12.2 says, Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to know what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You are not lost. You got his word and you got the spirit. You got the mind of Christ. You're an overcomer. The third thing, besides the victory over sin and death, Besides the new mind to be able to know truth. Third, Paul mentions another thing that makes us more than conquerors. And that is the hope for the future. A Christian should always have hope for the future. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. This is something we need to regain in our Christian life and church today. Hope. People can be all gloom and doom and have a negative outlook on their own life and future. But if you're in Christ, you always have hope. Even Jeremiah, when his people were walking into exile, he wrote in Lamentations 3, streams of tears flow from my eyes because of my people and my afflictions. And yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Like Jeremiah, we may go through times of tears and sadness and concern over our life or our loved ones and the conditions of this world. We may get depressed at times or afraid seeing the wars and the rumors of the wars. Even Jesus cried as he looked over the condition of Jerusalem and what was coming for the people. In our chapter, Paul speaks about this like a groaning. He uses that word. He says all of creation has been groaning like pains out of childbirth. He says in verse 20, creation is has been subject to frustration, a curse upon it. There is decay, there is hate, there is evil, there is sin. Things are not as they should be. He says in verse 23, inwardly, we eagerly await for our adoption as sonship and the redemption of these bodies. We look forward to the day of glory when there'll be no more pain or sorrow or sin or death. For now it still is. And so we groan, he says. And we've all felt that groaning. I hurt when I see my family and others in pain or when bad things happen or when people are dropping bombs or terrorists are killing kids and when I see people falling away from the faith or families falling apart or I see my own anxieties or anger come out and frustration, there's a groaning there. And I think it may have even gotten worse. I grew up in a time where there seemed to be a little more excitement and optimism of the future. But today, there's a darker outlook. Many kids suffer with anxiety and depression. People don't have the same positive outlook on the future or their country or their chances to make it or that things can improve. There seems to be more fear. And, and I would say that it seems like it is a tougher time to grow up than when I did. But think about Jeremiah. His people are leaving their homeland. Think about Paul when he wrote this. Christians were having a very tough time at that point. 
Yet it's, this is when both of those guys write words about hope and God's people having that hope. It's not when they can see it yet. It's when they just trust it, knowing it's coming. Of all the people on the planet, we should be the most full of hope. For we know the faithfulness and goodness of God. We know whom we have believed that he is able. We know that our Savior told Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We know that Christ is going to return someday and that God wins in the end. Paul speaks here of a Christian hope. He says in verse 18, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that will one day be revealed. He says in verse 17, if we share in his sufferings, we're going to share in his inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ. He says in verse 28, we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love and have been called according to his purposes. He speaks about the Spirit interceding for us in our weakness. He speaks in verse 11 how the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you and will give life to your mortal bodies. He says in verse 24, it's in this hope that we're saved. And he says, hope that's seen is no hope at all. But he says, if we have hope for what we do not see, we got to wait for it patiently. This is how we overcome. We hold on to hope. Hope in Christ. The assurance of his promises. They're coming. You may be groaning, yes. But don't stop believing your hope is on the way. Christ is an absolute certainty. You may not see it yet, but you will. The end has already been written, and God wins. Encourage one another as long as it is today. And then the final thing that Paul mentions here in this chapter that reminds us that we're more than conquerors is what I believe is the truth of all truths, the greatest thing in all of the world, and that is that God really does completely 100% love you. His love has been poured into our hearts and nothing can separate us from it. Nothing ever. Not our sin anymore because on the cross our sin was fully paid. We're fully forgiven. Not our hardship, persecution, or famine. That won't separate us because he goes with us through the tough stuff. He's the God who's with us. Death can't separate us from him for he overcame death. He's the resurrection and the life and whoever believes in him will live even though he dies. Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing Neither death nor life, nothing angel nor demon, neither present nor future, nor any powers, high or low, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. God demonstrated his love for you upon that cross. There's never been a greater demonstration of love. He laid down his life for you. Never a greater proof that God is for you and not against you than that cross. Oh, how he loves you and me. Even if everyone around you hates you, he loves you. Even if others leave you and have disappointed you, he won't. Even if you lose your job, you fall on your face, you struggle to trust him time again, he doesn't struggle to love you. Even if you continue to struggle with your sin, his love remains and he is ready to forgive if you just ask him. His grace is made perfect in our weakness. His love for you remains as strong as ever. His love is unfailing. His love is unconditional. His love cost him something. He took nails for you. I grew up in a family that taught me about Jesus since I was born. 
but I still remember the pastor who shared the gospel at camp when I was 12. And it was just my time to really hear it and make that decision for the Lord. That pastor's name was John Black. I still remember it. But besides his message, there was a song they played that night at camp that just really hit me. And every time I hear it today, it still hits me. The song was, We Were the Reason. We were the reason that he gave his life. We were the reason that he suffered and died. To a world that was lost, he gave all he could give. To show us the reason to live. Man, God used that song in my life. It just broke me. Still does. He uses stuff like this. He uses songs and sermons and experiences we go through to try to help us to see just how much he loves you. When my kids go through things, all I want to do is for them to know that I love them and I am here for them always. And God loves for you and that same father, even greater, love. He loves you and wants you to know that he is here always for you. Every time I'm facing a difficult thing, the Lord just has a way of being there. I can see it now. Every time he's just right there with me, reminding me that I am loved and it's going to be okay and I'm forever his. Even when I fail so bad, he's that prodigal's father who opens his arms to me and I know I don't deserve it, but he is there every time with forgiveness. The Bible says perfect love like this casts out all fear. And it's in the security of his love that I find the strength to keep on keeping on. That I find a reason to get up and live my life in the morning and serve and want to do this. And every word that I say, I want it to be a blessing to the one who loves me in the hopes that others might come to know him and have his love heal their broken heart like it has mine. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We're more than conquerors because he's given us the victory over sin and death. We are more than conquerors because he's given us a new mind to know the truth. We are more than conquerors because we have an eternal hope in our future and a loving God who is with us each day. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.